Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Uh, Sean, thank you for being with uh, myself and my guests this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this because, uh, you know, lean is something that I've talked about before on this show with previous guests. It's something uh, that, that I like, uh, and I, I like your take on it as best as I think I understand it, because it's a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dive into that, uh, I want to start you off where I start all of my guests. Okay. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Uh, to me, I would sum it up into the phrase, feed the troops. Mm-hmm. And by that, uh, like any effort depends on how well you supply people. Do you give them the materials they need? Do you give them the tools they need? And also, do they have the information? And if you can provide those three key things, uh, to a large degree, you can get out of people's way. Because, you know, when you look at history, and in particular when you look at war, it's been well established that that wars are won or lost based on their supply lines. Mm. As long as you can feed the troops, you've got a really good uh, chance at actually prevailing. And that's the way I look at leadership. It's just giving people what they need so that they can do what they need to do. 
Mm. No, I like that, and especially the history twist there, because, uh, you know, we talk about that quite a bit on this show, too, and, and mm-hmm. you, you know, you're right. I mean, I think that's one thing that uh, a lot of people forget uh, about World War II. Like, we really we really didn't de- defeat Hitler. Hitler kind of defeated himself by stretching his supply lines too thin and trying mm-hmm. to march on Moscow. Right. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I like what you said there, because it reminded me of the old Patton quote, says, uh, don't tell people what to do. Tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way. Right, right. And in my opinion, I have always looked at it this way. But if someone's having to script things, having to tell everybody what to do, in my opinion, that's not true leadership. Yeah. You know, true true leadership is creating a situation where people know what to do. You've helped get them prepared for the situations they're going to run into and then they can take care of it. In in my book, that's where leadership is at its absolute best. Yeah, no, I agree. And and again, listeners, you mentioned it in the, in the uh, bio there, but uh, Sean's book is Quantum Lean, uh, Taking Lean Systems to the Next Level. And you co-wrote that with a gentleman named Michael uh, Sanders. So um, I, I, again, I've... Uh, I really like this because I've talked about lean before on this show had a couple of guests uh, talking about it, Uh, but they all make the same point kind of where you start off with is change management and getting people ready for change. And in your opinion, uh, why do people resist change? Well, you know, what happens is, People talk about all kinds of reasons that people resist change. Uh, I've heard all kinds of explanations offered. A person's in a groove and they don't want to break out of it. Or people fear the unknown. And, uh, you know, or people just get into a rut. Uh, And in my opinion, all those things are true. And it's true for myself. But to me, the big, big reason... And I'd say it occupies 95% of the space for resistance to change is that change is more often than not a negative thing. It's, it's a bad thing. And by that, I would just give some examples. Uh, when you have bills, do they go up or down? Mm. Uh, you know, when you work at a, when you work at a business, if you're an employee and your, you know, bosses or managers change things, how often did it result in a better situation? And in my case, in all honesty, it practically never did. Most of the time, my job became more difficult or, you know, in, or just at the least, things became significantly more inconvenient. And, you know, you and to me, even things as simple as, uh, let's say you go to a restaurant and you really like a particular dish they offer. In my experience, I found that's the surest way for that dish to be discontinued is if I start really liking it a whole bunch. Right. I mean, and so people, all kinds of things happen, you know, outside of your control to a large degree. And, you know, when that happens, those things that are out of your control, they get changed. And often enough, it's really not that good a thing. And so the thing that I offer to anybody who's going to have to try to get people to latch on to and embrace change is the first order of business is actually formulate that change where it's going to be a really positive thing and really overwhelmingly positive. You know, you're, you're going to get people still probably resisting a little bit, but I do argue that you're going to get it down to a minimum and then you can kind of do a mop up operation. Like the the one, one example I give people all the time is that, you know, we've all heard of lottery tickets and I think most people have heard how a lot, well, let me backtrack a second. I think we've all heard about the people who say winning the lottery is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. And, And quite a few of them will say that. And so we have that example in front of us, a really negative experience, but at the same time, uh, if we experience that lottery ticket, we we know that we're really in for a real major life change if we do it. So you've got the unknown right there. You know, if all of a sudden I won a billion dollar lottery, I'm going to start finding relatives I never knew I had. 
who are going to hit me up for money. I'm going to all of a sudden have to figure out I'm going to have to order a security detail to keep my loved ones from being kidnapped and held for ransom and all kinds of other little preparations I'm going to have to make. I'm going to have to figure out how to avoid taxes and, you know, and also people are going to be hitting me up for investment opportunities and on and on. Hard luck stories. My life is going to change is what I'm bringing up. And you've got a lot of unknowns there, as I brought up before. But at the same time, you could give people all that information that people have had really terrible experiences with it. Their life is going to be turned upside down. But 99 out of 100 people are going to go for, you know, a winning lottery ticket if you offer it to them. Because the change is just thought to be really positive. You know, all my money troubles are going to go away if I just win this billion-dollar ticket. And I'll take a chance. And I'll argue most people will. So that's going to my point about if you can make the change really, really positive with a high likelihood of working out, most people are going to be interested in taking a chance on it. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I love everything you said. It's funny you mentioned the thing about uh, uh, restaurants, right? For for my wife yeah. and I, uh, it's TV shows. Like we've oh. we've really come to the point we we stop saying we like a show. We'll just look at each other and say, well, this one's going to get canceled. And, <laughs> yeah, and we, exactly. And we know what it means, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. But, you know, I like what you said there, too, because especially the lottery ticket uh, thing, because, you know, I've seen a couple of those documentaries where they go visit people who won the big jackpots and all that good stuff. Uh-huh. And I've seen one. Yeah. Personally, I've seen one person whose life was actually better. And it's because they had a financial advisor uh, uh-huh. that they worked with that was smart enough to kind of do what you just said. They yeah. said, here, you know, I, I think they won like $80 million or something. Right. They said, here. Uh, you know, after taxes and all this good stuff, you're going to get like maybe 45 or $50 million. Yeah. said, here, take this $10 million. Mm-hmm. This is your playing around money. Mm-hmm. This other $40 million, this is what we're going to do with it, and this is why. And they communicated some of these things to uh, the person, and they were able to put their money in good places. They were able to make mm-hmm. smart investments with it so it would grow instead of spending money on all kinds of stupid stuff. Right. And, and what I like about what you said because for me, this is what I, I, I tell folks about change. That people, don't, people don't dislike change. They dislike the fear that comes with changing. And then I follow it up with, because you do a poor job of communicating what change actually means. Right. And I think that's what you're saying here is if we take the time to communicate why we need to change, what the outcomes are, and what the positive benefits are going to be. Mm-hmm. We do still have to acknowledge the negatives. We can't, you know, be Pollyanna about it. But people find comfort in that. That's what I'm reading from you, right? Well, right. And uh, I do think a lot of people lack belief in the idea that the change is going to work to the better. You know, I think that we all have, you know, 95% of the time the changes are bad. And so just based on probability and odds, people are going to say, yeah, right, this change is going to be really good. You know, at no way, it's going to be the same old, same old. And so, but if you if you can formulate and present the change where it is positive and it has high credibility that it's going to work out and still be positive, then I think people will give it a shot. And, and there is something I add to that. If I have the power to make this promise, I will make it. Where I'll tell people, if this change doesn't work out, you know, within a certain amount of time, we're going to drop it, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, we'll go over it. We'll go back through all the, you know, do the postmortem. But if it turns out to be a net negative, we're going to drop it because that's one thing I've never liked about the way changes often go is when you do get that occasional good change, often that's subject to change. But when a bad change has been made, it never gets revisited. And that, to me, I've always found to be very frustrating. And I've always wanted to extend the courtesy to others to, you know, actually address that issue. And I think when it's been extended, people appreciate it quite a bit. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, we're talking about lean and like kind of the, the, the mantra, if you will, is the whole Kaizen change for the better and right. that falls in line with what you're saying, right? Kaizen means change for better, not change, right. period, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and so 
I like that approach there of giving, you know, kind of giving a, a, a evaluation period to the change. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. sure that that takes away some of that discomfort too, knowing that, Hey, there's a chance we're going to fall back to where we were. Yeah. And another thing that I tell people is expect bad things to happen mm-hmm. because, and this is a, a theory I have, I've not done an extensive study about it and I've not, you know, gotten it double blind tested. But what I've observed is that if you take a guy and he's got the highest education, the highest intelligence, and a really unbelievably high level of experience, I think that guy has probably a 60% chance of getting things right on the first try. You know, it's, it, I have a personal saying that there's no such thing as one trip to a hardware store. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I think, and hopefully your audience knows what I'm getting at there. Yeah. It's just you, you can plan it and blueprint it, but just all, all kinds of stuff happens when you're making a home repair or an improvement. And some, you know, that unforeseen event forces you to have to go back to the hardware store to get a different part, uh, a new part, you know, whatever that may be, so that you can actually complete your fix. And that's the way I look at making a change at any company is that you have these unforeseen consequences to anything you do. And I think even the most perfect case of a person making a change has about a 60% chance of getting it right the first time. But the good news is, is even if a person really gets it wrong the first time a lot, with repetition, you have a virtually 100% chance of getting it right. If you go back to that change you made, and keep revisiting it, determining what went wrong, and then, you know, making corrections, and then building on it. Because even even a person that gets it right only about 30% of the time, if they only got it right 30% of the time, the first time, they would get it almost perfect by the 10th time. So mm-hmm. really, and, and the thing that I've observed is a lot of people, it's a lot like a coin flip if they'll get it right. And... You know, if you're a professional gambler, you only need to be right 51% of the time to be rich beyond the dreams of avarice. You know, because that's the professional gamblers, yeah, aren't necessarily right a phenomenal amount of the time. They're right enough of the time, and they keep playing. If you just keep playing, you'll get better, and so you'll improve your percentages. But just repetition and an honest assessment of what you've done will give you that really great shot at getting amazing results. You know, what I love about that there is it, it, it you gave me kind of a little bit of a flashback and a good way to Marine Corps boot camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were at the rifle range, and I remember our primary marksmanship instructor coming out and, and asking the question, you know, how many of you here are familiar with shooting and consider yourself a really good shot? And, you know, being a country boy from Northeast Tennessee, I raised my hand and so did a couple other guys in, in the platoon. And he said, you're going to struggle the most with what we have to do huh. here today. Yeah. We're like, wait, what? And sure enough, we were the ones that struggled the most because uh-huh. the weapon was so different than, you know, the 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 sixes and things like that that we were used to using. Right. It was a big change on, on something that we knew so well but we had to make these little adjustments that just really were hard for us to wrap our minds around because we kept falling into those uh, old patterns. And so I agree with you. I mean, I, I agree with you 100% that, uh, you know, the, the, those patterns are really hard to break. And that's that's a big barrier to getting people to change, too, is just doing something different. Right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I, I like that story because, uh, you know, when... When I'm working with companies on implementing lean or any other change, but in particular lean, what I found is that people who actually start out and already have a background in lean, I have the most difficulty getting them to actually get lean right. (laughs) To me, the people that don't have experience in it, I feel like they're about 90% of the way there. And the people who have experience in it, I have to get them to unlearn some bad habits that they got originally to really, you know, get at their best in terms of making improvements in the lean direction. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's very interesting because it's it's almost uh, you know it, it's almost like I, I've shared this story about a gentleman named Cliff Young on here before. I don't know if have you ever heard his story. Actually, I've not. Okay. Well, long story short, uh, they were having this. This was I want to say early seventies. They're having a race from Sydney to Melbourne. It was like a 540-mile race. And they're getting ready to, to start the race. And here comes this, I want to say he was 62 or something like that at the time, uh, year old man in coveralls and wearing muck boots. And uh, he had his teeth out and the whole nine yards. Everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. Like, how are you going to run 540 miles? And, you know, they let him run, see what happened. And sure enough, at the end of the first day, he's like several hours behind everybody else. But by the end of the race, this joker not only won the race, but he beat second place by almost eight hours, if I remember right. And the thing was, is he didn't know what he was supposed to do. So he just did what he thought he should do. And he ran the whole way without stopping. And he made up his time while everybody else was sleeping. Okay. You know, and and it's kind of the same thing is like a lot of times when people don't know what they're, quote, supposed to do, like you said, you've been indoctrinated into lean. You know what lean should be. You have a hard time understanding what lean could be. Right. Well, well, see, I like that story you bring up there as well. Like what's nice about this interview is that your stories kind of trigger recollections of mine, because do you remember there in the in the Olympics in the 90s? And I think his name was Michael Johnson, but he was a great sprinter, mm-hmm. and and he and he like got results that were just off the charts. Great, he was a gold medalist, that kind of thing. But he had a he I'm trying to think of the word for it, but he had like a running form, if that's what you'd call it, that was utterly different from everybody else's, you know, like running method. And there were people saying, you know, can you imagine what kind of results? that Michael Johnson would get if he ran, if he would use, you know, the proper techniques of running. And then Michael Johnson replied, if I did that, I would be back there with all the other guys. And I went, <laughs> I love that. I mean, that statement was just profound and I loved it because exactly, you know, he, he went unconventional and he got really superior results because of it. Yeah, well, no, that's that. Yeah, I, I vaguely yeah. remember that, but it's great because the same thing that happened with Cliff. Like when they went back and, and like analyzed what he did, yeah. ultra marathoners to this day use at least some minor variation of the way he ran that race because he used these short shuffle steps that conserved energy. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the, the background of the story was his family had a huge, uh, they were, they were shepherds and they had a huge farm where the sheep would run. And he would run all over the 2,000 acres or what it was, herding sheep because, quote, they couldn't afford a dog. So he was their shepherd, uh, <laughs> you know. So he right. knew how to run long distances for long periods of time. Right. And and, and that's, that's I think that's another impediment to change in lean systems, right, is is getting people used to those possibilities. Like what you said with, uh, I believe you're right, I think it was Michael Johnson. Yeah. You know, people see that as, as weird, and it is, but weird isn't always bad, right? Well, right. But, you know, and that's actually, uh, you know, we're talking about the book Quantum Lean. And, and I was talking about if someone has a background in other lean techniques, they, they do have a little bit of trouble getting used to Quantum Lean because it's just too simple. But the nice thing is that the 80-90% of people that don't have experience with it, they, they take to it right away. Because it totally appeals to their common sense. You know, every, and, you know, like I was saying before, it's, uh, I have by far the easiest time with people that don't have a background. They're not trying to make things more complicated and they, uh, and they're ready to just rely, not just rely, but they're ready to rely on common sense and then bolster it with quantum lead methods. I love it. Well, I, th- I think that's a good segue into, you know, what really are the, the fundamental differences between traditional lean and quantum lean? Yeah. Well, uh, I'll give you a little story that, that'll help illustrate it, but then I'll talk about some, some of the reasons to it. Okay. When early on, when I was implementing lean, uh, I was doing it the conventional way that was explained. But in the environment that I was in, 
uh, it was an environment where there were companies that didn't make more than 10 of something. You know, they would get an order for a product and, you know, it was very custom and it's, you know, it's in the kind of shop that's called a job shop mm-hmm. where some, like I say, someone needs a custom product. And so you make that, but you'd make a very limited quantity of it. And so, you know, these businesses were what's now called a uh, high mix, low volume environments. And, you know, these are in a lot of ways, the very opposite of what we think of as mass production, where someone does an assembly line and they make a big run of a million of the same thing. Now, lean can apply to either situation, you know, the high mix, low volume or a low mix, very high volume. But what I found is that the way people formulate and explain lean, it's very much done with the, the mass production in mind. And what that, the problem that causes is that it's very hard to apply the techniques as they've created them in a custom environment. And it's actually hard to apply in a wide variety of environments. Because if you go to most businesses, I'd say 95 or more percent aren't mass production. But when you've got a, a when you're faced with a situation where, uh, you know, the whole thing is formulated with 5% of the businesses in mind, most people have no clue on what to do when they're in a different situation. And so when I was out there, trying to apply lean in the conventional way, I quickly came to a conclusion that this just doesn't work. You know, I knew that the concepts were really sound, but, you know, the, like I was saying, the techniques and the methods just didn't really mesh. And so this forced a rethink on how to look at lean and how to apply it because, and I'll say this and I'll stand by it, I will say that conventional traditional lean does not give the vast majority of people a practical or a practicable way to apply lean to their environment they're often left clueless as to what to do you know as an example of that like one thing that lean practitioners complain about all the time is that people misapply lean when they try to put it in their environment but they don't get around to figuring out why do people misapply it why do they misunderstand lean and so quantum lean was formulated to work around that issue. It's, it's formulated lean in a very simple way that it can be applied in any environment and make complete sense. And then because it's simple, people can understand it readily. And then with some explanation, people can then make the connection between the principles of quantum lean and their situation. So that's that's really the the story behind why quantum lean was done, and I you know I can go in as we talk I can go into detail about how quantum lean is different from the traditional lean ideas. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, and 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 yeah. I like that because it, it it sounds very much like you leaned lean. Well, that's exactly right. Like for example, one of the things that people talk about in lean, and you know, for the audience that's not familiar with it. Uh, well, it w- would it be fair to say that your audience is familiar with lean or is it possible that they aren't? You know, I think we, we uh, you know, we'll probably have a good mix of folks. Uh, like I said, okay. I had a gentleman named Mark Deluzio on. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, Mark? Well, actually, yeah. I mean, I don't know him personally, but we've corresponded, but yeah, he's very reputable. He's very, yeah. Yeah. He's a very well-renowned guy. Right. Yeah. So had him on here and we, we talked about it. So yeah. I'm sure folks who've listened to that have a decent understanding, but again, like you said, I would imagine some of them probably just have kind of a a have been told what lean is supposed to be versus really like picked up a book like quantum lean and yeah. and really dove headfirst into it so yeah well what what I'll offer uh, to people who've not heard about lean is lean is based on the Toyota production system mm-hmm. that Toyota used to really you know like achieve dominance in the automotive game you know they've really they're really the gold standard for efficiency in manufacturing cars in an economic and high quality manner. And so people, what lean is, it's taking the Toyota production system and then, uh, you know, defining it uh, in a general way for business. Now, the, the issues that I've had with lean as it's defined is one of the, 
the common techniques people use to make an operation lean is they take what I call a waste-focused approach, where they try to identify wastes in an operation and get rid of the wastes, and then they want to leave what they call just value-added operations. And they'll, you know, ideally want all the operations in their business to be strictly value-added and, uh, you know, with waste taken away. And that waste is is uh, described in eight different ways. Like they'll talk about the waste of overproduction or the waste of motion or the waste of transportation. Mm-hmm. The, the issue I have with that is that when I define waste eight different ways, I've just created eight different things people have to think about. Right. And then they also have to be able to then memorize these eight different wastes. And then they have to be able to look at a situation and say, oh, well, this is the waste of motion. Uh, this is the waste of transportation. This is the waste of inventory. And, and to me, that creates a very complicated situation. When, when quantum lean was formulated, it was formulated to strictly look at time. And, and it was formulated to strictly look at time from the standpoint of a product. And this is important. You can look at waste eight different ways, or you can look at time in one way. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, already you have reduced the complexity from eight things to look at to one thing to look at. Yeah. And what will happen is that if you attack time... You will get rid of waste, but you don't have to look at waste uh, explicitly. So if I were going to draw an analogy on it, it's like the strategy that helped win World War II. Like, uh, and and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this in the book, but when, when the Allies were bombing uh, Germany during World War II, the big priority for the bombing runs uh, were ball bearing uh, facilities, you know, mm-hmm. plants that made ball bearings. And why is that? The thing I'd bring up is that you can uh, try to target all kinds of military targets like, you know, munitions plants, uh, you know, tank plants, aircraft facilities. You could target radar installations. I mean, you could target a whole, whole bunch of things. But if you target the ball bearings, you basically ground everything else to a halt Mm -hmm. because no war machine or really no industrial machine can operate without ball bearings. And so... Uh, the Allies simplified their problem of winning the war tremendously by focusing on one thing. And and that's the same idea with quantum lean, is that if you focus on time, time is the fuel that feeds all waste. Yeah. So you can look at waste in all kinds of forms, and you know that just complicates things. Or you can just look at time, and if you can eradicate time for the product, and I can go into the that point a little bit more in a second... But if you can eradicate time for the product, then waste disappears. And yeah. so you've, you've, made, you've made the problem now a much simpler problem. You don't have to memorize eight wastes. You don't have to you know, look at things like value and non-value added. You're just looking at the product and you're looking at the time it spends. Yeah, no, I I love that, and you know I'm glad you you know brought up the the Toyota tie-in because when you were talking earlier about mass production uh, yeah. versus you know kind of specialty shops, I was thinking I was I was legitimately thinking you know Toyota versus like say a Lamborghini or or uh, Ferrari, yeah. and and I remember seeing a a documentary about I want to say it was Lamborghini. and uh, you know it just hit me that this is kind of what they were talking about there, but they didn't use these words. Uh, you know, they were talking about the 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 craftsman who makes the the leather seat covers, mm-hmm. and how over time they found ways to get uh, more usable leather out of the same hide. And the guy made a comment. He goes, "You know, and, and the one thing that we didn't really expect was now I can cut one time because they make a leather die cutting die." Right. And have all of my pieces versus having to get different pieces of hide in here and make several cuts. I've saved so much time and yeah. I'm using uh, more of the product and reducing waste. Right. Yeah. No, right. No, right, right. And uh, yeah, and to me, uh, exactly. Now, some, something I bring up if, if some, somebody who's listening is when I'm talking about time, I'm talking about from the standpoint of the product. Like you could talk about a person on a job spending time 
or you can also look at it as the product coming into a station and what's happening to the product. For example, uh, and I don't know if you remember this movie, but there, uh, to illustrate this point, there's a movie back about 20 years ago that was called Castaway, and mm-hmm. it starred Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you like for those in the audience that are still maybe hazy on the recollection, uh, he had a he was on a desert island. He was stranded on a desert island, and he had a friend that was a volleyball that he put a face on, and he named it Wilson. Yeah. And out and not so I don't know if people remember that or not, but in this movie, Tom Hanks played a FedEx employee, and the thing that really spoke to my inner lean practitioner is that there's an initial scene in the movie where Tom Hanks enters the FedEx facility, and he has a kid hand him a package and he opens that package and he pulls out a clock and that clock uh, says 72 hours and i don't uh, earl do you remember that scene uh no actually that one didn't okay. catch my, my but i'm gonna okay. have to go back and check it out now yeah yeah it's a really great movie but to me that scene yeah. really captures the essence of quantum lean because what what was happening there is that Tom Hanks pulled a clock out of the FedEx package and it said 72 hours. And what that clock was saying is that the person that mailed it stuck a clock, set it at zero and started it up. And it, and they wanted to track how long did that package spend in the FedEx system? And so by the time Tom Hanks opened it, it had taken 72 hours. And that's the way when quantum lean time is looked at, it is strictly from the standpoint of the product. Like, you, you don't worry about what individual people are doing. You don't worry about all kinds of side activities. You, in a sense, communicate with the product. Let the product tell you what kind of time it's spending in your production system or your business. You know, this can be a good or a service. But how, how much time has it been spending in your system? And then what's it been doing? What's been happening to it during that time? And if you look at it that way, the product, in a sense, tells you what you need to be working on. And then you keep working to get the time the product spends in your shop or in your office down as low as you possibly can. So like in Tom Hanks's case, obviously, with FedEx being about being 24 hours or less, they had some work to do because it was 72 hours. You know, you need to be shrinking that time. But Quantum Lean will look at, at what the product is going through and then use that to determine what to do to to achieve efficiencies in an operation. Mm. I like that because, I mean, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, um, you know, that, that, that time thing, and maybe this is something that, that people struggle with too, is it's it's getting that time right. Like, yeah. like there there can come a time where you lean yourself out of quality right well you know fair you mentioned that most of the time it doesn't work that way in my opinion most of the time you're going to get much better quality if you shrink the time but to me in cases of things like food or beverage that's very possible because uh, there's one famous case and i'm not sure how old you are earl but for those of us that are maybe above the age of 50, there was a super popular beer in America called Schlitz. Mm. And it was, uh, are you old enough to remember Schlitz? Or? Uh, so, yeah, I, I remember yeah. Schlitz. Yeah, but uh, one, it's a totally forgotten beer now. Nobody even knows anything about it. But back when I was a kid, it was the number one beer in America. Mm. You know, it was, it was as popular or more popular than Budweiser. And... Starting in the early 70s, they had a new president take over, and he was very interested in getting the time of the brewing time down. But in the process, he totally destroyed the quality of Schlitz. And for about two years, the company was achieving record profits. But then uh, about two years into it, the consumer started to notice, and demand for Schlitz just dropped like a stone. Mm. And by the end of the 1970s, Schlitz had become an afterthought. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting you mention that because yeah. um uh one of the things my wife and I are, are watching right now and uh it's not sponsored by the History Channel, but hey, if yeah. you want to talk, I'm listening. Uh there's this great series on the History Channel right now called uh The Food That Built America. 
I'm not sure if you've heard about this. I'm or not. not. No, I'm not. I, I, I would I would venture a guess that somebody that does what you do would love this show because you know they they do a lot of this. They they get into the history of food products and they talk a lot about this of of, uh, of streamlining the processes again back then primarily for time because it was so slow like in the early 1900s to get anything from east coast to west coast right. and building these national brands was very dependent on lean operations that could get product out fast and secure yeah. in a way that could get shipped across country right um and and they actually did one on uh Pabst and oh. uh what they went through with prohibition and and how they tried to uh, come back after that and uh so no it's, it's very interesting i think you'd love that that series because yeah. you know oh yeah food is well, huge well yeah and i'm a sucker for nostalgia so yeah it sounds like a great show but <laughs> uh, but yeah the but the interesting thing you mentioned there i would say if you want to see really operations that are far along in terms of lean food operations are very typically far along in that regard and the reason i say that is that most of the time the stuff they're producing has a shelf life Mm -hmm. and so you can't have products sitting around at a food plant it can spoil it can go bad and so you have to get it you know in and out of that facility you know and there are companies that go against that and they just stuff their product with a lot of preservatives and gums and things to improve shelf stability. But the, but the quality of the product is often terrible. Yeah. Like I will, and well, actually, yeah, you have family from Texas and I can give you a great example of where actually making the time for the product go down is good for the product. There was a product in Texas called Mrs. Baird's bread and it was great. It was a great sliced bread. But then somewhere in like, I would say from the 1990s forward, they were taken over by a huge bakery conglomerate. And they started really messing with the product and doing things to increase its shelf life so that they could, you know, like build up more product in their system, have it take longer and get certain economies going. But it's the the quality of the Mrs. Barrett's product is so inferior now, in my opinion, to what it was back in its heyday when they were about making a really fresh, good, wholesome product, you know, because it's, it's kind of stunning how much better it was back in its day, in my opinion. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think that can be said again about a lot of of food services stuff. Like, uh, you know, I had somebody the other day without even thinking about it. And somebody uh, the other day asked me, you know, which one I thought was better uh, Popeye's or KFC. And without hesitation, I said KFC in like say uh, 1989 or KFC today. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, so, um, so how can people, uh, you know, across different organizations, like what is a good first step for people to really start implementing quantum lean into their organization? I mean, obviously they need to go buy a copy of the book, quantum lean. I'd say that'd probably be the, a good step. Right. But, but right, after that, well, <laughs> Well, here's, yeah, get Quantum Lean, uh, you know, find out more about it. You can also go uh, to a nonprofit organization that I work with called Beehive Fund. And it's B-E-E-H-I-V-E fund, as that's one word, dot O-R-G. If you go there, there's information about the organization that I work with. And Beehive Fund is promoting and advancing Quantum Lean for businesses and while beehive fund has a mission of helping businesses you know in general especially small business uh one of our big thrusts is bringing quantum lean to business so that they can get the benefits of this system because we really believe in it we think it's a great system and we want people to be able to really enjoy the full you know fruits of this system and so you can go to beehive fund uh you can write me it's S. It's my email at Beehive Fund is S. Fields, F I E L D S, at Beehive Fund.org. So if you get the book and read it, maybe you have, you want a clarification 
or have a question, just write me and I'll, I'll answer the question as best as I can. And I'm also on LinkedIn. You can message me and I'll answer a question about quantum lean there as well. So, uh, and to me, to just find out more about the organization, go to the Beehive Fund website. You can find out more there also. Outstanding. And, and uh, you know, listeners, as always, we'll have links uh, links to those in the show notes. So you can just click on them and, uh, and get to the website and find uh, Sean's email address. I'll have that in the show notes as well. And, and again, I definitely recommend picking up a copy of the book. Um, you know, it's got a lot of great information packed in there. There's a lot of great diagrams and, uh, you know, for, for the amount of information that's in the book, I think, uh, I think you and, uh, Michael Sanders have done a great job of really, uh, really, really putting it together in a, in a digestible way. I'm not going to say it's easily digestible because these are interesting concepts you have here and, and it's going to take some effort to, to learn them and learn how to implement them. But I think people can pick up the book and get a really good idea, especially with you as a, a backstop there, a really good idea of how to in, implement uh, quantum lean in their organizations. And I think that's a great accomplishment with this book. So congratulations. Oh, no, I really appreciate that. And if, if there's just a little bit of time, I can address a point there is that uh, there have been over 10,000 books written on lean, believe it or not. And so I think a question a, a listener may have is what on earth would quantum lean bring? Quantum Lean was formulated for the 95% of Lean implementations that fail. And I blame a lot of those failures on the fact that Lean has been made too complicated. By making Quantum Lean simple, that book and uh, implementing its methods, I am super confident will restore your confidence in bringing a Lean system to your shop. And I think for anybody who's dealt with Lean, I think they'll find the book very understandable. If, if you haven't dealt with Lean and it's not your thing of interest, yeah, I don't recommend it for a light, breezy read over the weekend. But if you've done it, I think you'll find it very refreshing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, this has been a great conversation. I know we, we've, we've covered quite a bit, but there's there's a lot, a lot left in the book for folks. And, and uh, you know, we'll leave that kind of some of that meat on the bone to, to encourage you all to go out and buy this book and add it to your library. Uh, but, you know, is there anything that we haven't uh, covered yet that you'd really like to leave the, the audience with before we, uh, before we start to close out? Well, I, yeah, it's really a point I just made earlier, but re- repetition's never terrible. Right. But it's, yeah, this book was, well, it's really good for beginners if you want to implement a lean system. But it was also made for those people who've had a bad taste in their mouth with lean before. And I think a lot of that is because lean is just made too complicated. I think the simplicity of quantum lean and the commonsensical approach will restore your confidence in lean for your business. Yeah, no, I'll agree. I'll agree with that. And, and, um, you know, when I had Mark on here, he made a point. He said the places where they've, they have simplified it, they simplified it to mean firing people. Uh, and that's not a good approach either. Right. Oh, of course not. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's just a, any kind of lean, uh, guru or practitioner, will reject that approach you know it's, it's a terrible terrible approach yeah so there you go so don't be afraid of lean costing you jobs if it's done right it's 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 actually gonna i mean a lot of ways if it's done right it's going to create more jobs because you're able to do more things and, and be more productive right precisely yeah exactly and you know th- these are managed management decisions but you know lean was at the end of the day pioneered by henry ford and when henry ford pursued these lean ideas that he mostly invented he was able to like totally increase the, his workforce and he was able to pay them super well for the time you know like what henry ford was paying his workforce back in his day would be like paying a line worker about a hundred grand now yeah. and he was able to make a car anybody could afford and prior to that no one could afford a car so to me lean has a ton of power to it and to me i think quantum lean is an evolution in lean we're going after the same thing everybody else is. I think we just get there in a more direct, more American way. I agree. I agree 100%. Well, Sean, look, I've loved this conversation. This has been great. I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, You got anything else in the pipeline, or or is this like your your big baby right now? It's a big baby right now. I have 
I have some things kind of thought out for the future, but uh, my my big push right now is getting the word out about the system, and you know, getting it uh, as adopted as widely as it can be adopted. No, I love it. I love it. Well, and that's a good uh, it's a good segue into uh, to kind of closing out here. So again, thank you very much for your time and, and spending time with me and my audience. Oh, well, uh, well, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it as well, and I think you have a great program. And you know, I certainly uh, yeah think I wanted to keep going because I think you do good things. Well, hey, I, I greatly appreciate. It. I want to uh, I want to keep going too. So uh, there you go, listeners. You, you got some tasks there. You got to make sure you're you're sharing and rating and review the show so we can keep her going there. Um, but on that note. Uh, again, make sure you use those links uh, that will be in the show notes to reach out to Sean, get a copy of the book, uh, start implementing these systems. Don't be afraid. Lean doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, Sean and his uh, uh, co-author, uh, Michael Sanders, have really done a good job of, of simplifying this process, and, and I think you can find some value in it and make it work in your organization. Uh, so make sure you use those links. If you have any, uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for myself, uh, burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, if you have a guest you'd like to hear me interview, uh, anything like that, just reach out there and let me know what you're thinking about the show. And again, make sure you're doing the rating, the reviewing. Uh, those, those really help the algorithms and help the show grow. Uh, so Sean's ideas can reach uh, further and wider and really get this quantum lean system out there. Uh, thank you for your time as a listener. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.